Open your Bibles to Genesis 47. More than what he said happened. I can't wait to hear the rest. Um, they, they got to do a lot of, uh, of ministry to people, individuals, uh, a couple of families in Baltimore. Uh, they took the last day and went to Baltimore to a center for, uh, for a certain people group. And so um, just had an excellent time. I do know those things. But uh, anyway, today I'm calling this Eternity Bound Pilgrims. Uh, and, and I'm going to come to that point and say more about that later on, but the, the word Hebrew or Hebrews, which is the, the, the people that we call the Jews, that word means a wanderer. Uh, it, it means someone who isn't settled. And, and uh, I was just thinking about that going through Genesis, how it was so important they had that burial place they bought. Last week I was talking about the importance of, of, of Be'er of, uh, Shubah, that they owned that. They knew that was theirs because they didn't have a place. They didn't have a home, and God has taken them into Egypt, and that's where we are in, in, uh, in the book of Genesis, uh, to create a nation out of 70 people. And so God took a few hundred years to do that, and then he tore up the nest. Uh, I don't know if you know that, what that means, but uh, uh, especially a mother eagle, but a, a mother bird will, will feather her nest so that the children, the little babies that are born in there hatch out, they'll be comfortable but when it's time for them to learn to fly, she starts throwing all the nice stuff out. So the sticks make them stand up and get irritated until they get on the edge. And then she just, boop, and they figure it out, uh, usually. Um, somewhere in there. Sorry, I was just kind of being facetious there at the end. But, but uh, that's the basic process. And, and uh, so that's what God does to these people. But Pastor Stephen, uh, you know, if you don't know, he's my son-in-law. And, and uh, he likes to tease me. He said, I'm the only person he knows that can look like a, a tourist in my hometown. <laughs> and he's right. I'm not sure what he means by that, but I do know he's, he's right about that. Uh, you know, uh, and, and there's, I always look like I'm out of place, but you know what the Bible says, that we are citizens of heaven now. We are not home now. We are aliens and strangers in this place. And it seems to me, as I, I just look across the landscape, and uh, you know, I'm not making any severe judgment here, but it seems to me that the North American church is more interested in the here and now than it is in eternity. That we want to fix you know, our nation, we want to spend our money on ourselves. Uh, we, we are not very concerned about those who need to know the Lord. And, and so I want you to just, I just want to put that in your brain not really the main point of this sermon, but it'll be part of it. But I, I do want you to be, be thinking about that. Um, let me read for you the first seven verses of chapter 47. I might have been saying 46. That's been stuck in my head. Uh, but would you stand with me? I'm going to read the first seven verses of chapter 47. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, my father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, uh, your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. And they said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land. Notice that word, sojourn. It means not to settle, but to travel. Sojourn in the land. 
for there is no pasture in your servant's flock, uh, for your servant's flock. For the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. And then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood him before Pharaoh. And I'm going to stop there because we're going to talk about Jacob in a minute. Would you pray with me? Lord God, in Jesus' name, we are so grateful for your word. Lord, I am grateful for just who you are. Indeed, you are a good father. Lord, you're also a righteous judge. And we thank you that that righteous judge we get to call father. Not that you ignore our sin, but that you paid for our sin by sending Jesus to die. And the Lord Jesus we thank you that you came and you died on the cross for us. And you said it was good that you go back to the Father. For if you didn't, the Holy Spirit wouldn't come. But you went back and sent the Comforter, the Paraclete, to us. That we might have your presence with us in this world, in this moment. And so, Lord God, three in one, I ask right now that you would open our eyes of understanding. That we would behold the wonderful things out of your law. In Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would make the scripture real to us and give us what we need to hear from it. We want to honor you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We love you. We ask for your protection spiritually. We, we ask that uh, you protect us against our enemy. Camp your mighty angels around us that we might be protected. And we rebuke him now in the name of Jesus and ask you, Lord, to be with us. Amen. Y'all can be seated. I'm going to move this so I don't bump it again. There we go. Anyway, we, we come to chapter 47, and I want to fill in the end of 46 before we jump into 47, because I try to cover every verse, and, and I'm not going to, uh, because it, it, the, what is going on here in, in 46 is that Joseph has brought in his family, they've arrived, he's, he's met, he's seen Benjamin, He's cried with his father. They've done all these things. And so um, they are all reunited and they are together. And so they just have settled. It's sort of like everybody got here. And then the Bible takes that break, you know, when you take a long trip to go see your relatives. And, well, let's get the suitcases in and all that. And then you kind of sit down and how's it going? You know, you hadn't unpacked yet, but you get everything inside. And then you kind of, well, that's, that's where we are. They haven't unpacked yet, but they got there. And so we start in 47, and as we look at those verses, there's some, a couple of unusual things I want you to see in the first six verses, and I want to get to Jacob. And that is, number one, he only took five of his brothers. How many are there? There are 11 besides Joseph, right? But he only took five of them. Why? The Bible doesn't tell us. If you are into numbers meaning things, five is usually the number of grace. It's also, I read was a very popular number with the Egyptians for some reason. I guess they could count it all on one hand. I don't know. It's, uh, uh, you know, some, something about that. But, but I do want you to see something. Remember, we've been seeing Joseph as a type of Christ. And when we're looking at typology, sometimes when you see that, you say, okay, that's good. It's pointing to something. It's not Joseph was exactly like Christ, but the revelation that God gives us through the Scripture points us to things that are to come. And I'm going to warn you that sometimes that typology changes a little bit in the middle of it 
because you can't hold it out forever because you get to where it doesn't work anymore. And in this story, it will change a little bit. But I want you to catch what's happening there in 47. Joseph goes in and tells Pharaoh, my father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all they possess here uh, have come from the land of Canaan and they are now in the land of Goshen. That does remind me, I, I skipped over something I want to tell you in the chapter before, what he tells his brothers is when you stand before Pharaoh, tell them you're, tell him you're shepherds. They hate shepherds. They don't like them. So they, but the only place you can feed the flock is in Goshen, and that's the best part. So that will automatically make him want y'all to go there. I used to think, well, that's kind of weird. He's saying, well, they despise shepherds, but you tell them you're a shepherd. I didn't understand what's going on, but what's going on is Joseph is making sure they get to go to the best part of the land. I said it last week, and I don't know if you did it or not, but you can look on Google Maps, and that's not advertising for Google. It's just something we, we know is out there, and look up Egypt. And you'll see one spot that's green and the rest is desert. That's Goshen. It's still the only place where it's green and fertile because it is the delta of the Nile. And so Joseph brings in five brothers and they stand before Pharaoh. And amongst his brothers, he took five and presented them to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to his brothers, verse 3, what is your occupation? And they said, we're shepherds. <laughs> And, uh, and as our fathers were, my dad was, my granddaddy was, and we are. And they, and they said to Pharaoh, we've come to sojourn in the land. I already told you, they, they're telling him, we understand, we're strangers here, we, we don't belong here. For there's no pasture in your servant's flock, the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in Goshen. Joseph is bringing his brothers to the king. And this is the mightiest king on earth at this moment. He's entrusted the kingdom to Joseph. Are y'all catching the typology? Jesus will present us before the throne blameless and spotless and without wrinkle. Because the father has put the son in charge and all judgment belongs to him. And when Joseph brings in his five brothers, and the Bible doesn't tell us which five. I'm curious, but I guess we're not supposed to know that. What had his brothers done? They had conspired to kill him. They beat him up, probably. Threw him in a pit, at least. Sold him into slavery. Told their dad he was dead and lived that deception for 20 years. Now Joseph has the upper hand. And he presents them before Pharaoh who can say, kill all those boys because they messed with our buddy Joseph. And Joseph doesn't bring up one wrongdoing of his brothers. When Jesus stands us before the king, he stands us there covered by his forgiveness in his blood. I don't know if you catch that when you're reading it. But boy, when I saw that, when somebody pointed it out to me, actually, I don't want to take any credit for brains I don't have. I, got, I had a holy fit right there. <laughs> and, and this part, I'm, it, it, I'm calling this the advocate because Joseph is advocating for his brothers. And so they, he presents them without sin, and they dare ask the mightiest king in the world, could we settle in your land in the best spot 
Now, if you're a beggar, we got a little saying, beggars can't be choosers, right? Back in 1987, I know this because I married Janice that year, but in the summer, I went to the Southern Baptist Convention in St. Louis, and I went with Trey, who has been here, and his wife, and the three of us drove there, and uh, we went without a map, and we just kept going west and north till we ran into St. Louis. It was amazing. Y'all think I'm kidding. And uh, anyway, so, so we got there, and we were poor as Job's turkey. I mean, we had, we had nothing. So we would buy bread and lunch meat, and we made our own lunches. We didn't go out to eat and things like that. And we were down to the last bit of food there on the streets in St. Louis. And Kelly was about to make a sandwich for Trey, and this homeless guy walks up and says, Can you spare any food? And I've already eaten mine, and he ain't getting it, sorry. <laughs> but Trey said, sure, man, what, do you want mayonnaise? No, I don't like mayonnaise. And all I could think was, we're about to feed you, and you're going to argue over mayonnaise. <laughs> but I saw the grace of God in Trey to feed that guy the last bit of his meal. These guys are like those homeless guys going before the mightiest king in the world, and they dare to ask for the best. What do you think we ought to ask for when we come to the throne of grace? Yeah. And what is the best? God's will. And what is God's will? That we go into all the world and preach the gospel, bringing them into the fellowship of the church, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and teaching them how to observe all things the Lord has commanded. That's God's best for us, isn't it? So why aren't we praying that we do, do that? We, we need to understand, I, I, I remember this guy when, when, back when I was in school, this, this man that was up there talking to us, and he's talking to us about praying boldly to, Christ, uh, to the Lord and asking him for what we need. And he said, it's as if, like, he was pretending he was God and that, that one of us was down there talking to God, and we had some need, and, and he used finances, but whatever your need, and he says, God, God pulls out his checkbook, because that was... Back then, you know, that was like a credit card back in the day for all you young people. And now y'all don't even have credit cards. It's just beep on the phone, right? And God says, what is it? What do you need, man? Tell me what it is. What is it? What do you need? He said, and then you ask him for your need. And he goes, oh. And he folds his checkbook and he puts, puts it down and reaches in his pocket and pulls out some change and sprinkles it on you. That's a picture it was a vivid picture to me of how we treat God. He's our Father who wants to give us His best, and instead we ask for a pocket change. Well, these guys ask for the best. And then the Father looks at Joseph and says, Give them the best. You give, I mean, He's already put Joseph in charge. I guess this is a little bit of, Hey, I don't want to take advantage. It's my family. That's how we would look at it. But Joseph has prepped his brothers. Ask for the best. That's where you need to be, and that's where you'll succeed. Go there. And so they dared to do it at Joseph's prompting, and then the king looks at Joseph and says, you're in charge, give them the best. And by the way, if any of your brothers are good at it, they can watch out for my flock. Does the typology continue? If you're a member of Calvary this morning sitting in here, the king has some flocks that he wants somebody to take care of. 
and that's who we are. We're the ones that are taking care of the king's flocks. They are sheep that aren't part of our sheepfold yet. I know I'm not saying it very excitedly, but brother, that ought to, that ought to create a little bit of mm in you. Like, yeah, God has sheep. He wants to join this flock. And you know how that happens? If you go look for them. Because there's 99 of us in here, but there's one lost out there that needs to hear. One more. Just one more. When is one more too many? Sometimes I, I've been in churches that were really growing and exploding. And, and uh, by the way, some people like a smaller church. I'm not against that. Some people like a bigger church. Not against that. I'm, I, you know, there are bad small churches. There are bad big churches. There are good small churches. Good big churches. But, but, but here's what I want you to know just as a statistical fact. You can only know 60 people. If a church is bigger than 60 people, you won't know everybody. All right, so get over that quick. <laughs> and, and join Sunday school, haven't been there yet, and that'll be a good start on your 60, all right? Because then you can have some good fellowship. Just throwing in that commercial while I'm there, okay? But, but God wants us to go, not only to ask him for the best, but to go and bring in other sheep for his sheepfold. This is our task. Well, after that, he presents Jacob, and I call this the accounting, because Jacob is going to give an account to his life to this king. And there's something real interesting in this section. I want to see if you catch it. I, I'm going to read this uh, from 7 to 12. I'm going to read all that. You don't have to stand back up. Then Joseph brought Jacob his father and stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days uh, been of the years of my life, and they've not attained to the days and the years of the life of my fathers in the day of their sojourning. Notice how he's used that word twice now. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers, gave him possession of the land of Egypt, in the best of the land in the land of Ramesses, and as Pharaoh had commanded, and Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. Let me say something about the end and go back to the beginning. You notice they are ruling where they took over. Typology again. God put you here to rule. Now that doesn't mean you're the boss of everybody, but the church is how God is going to bring the world under his dominion. Right? Amen? So our job is to spread the gospel in the land that he put us in. And that's what these guys are doing. And notice that the father provides to Joseph, I mean, the king provides to Joseph all that his family needs to live. And so this was a command of Pharaoh. But, but I want to go back here and look at Jacob a little bit closer. Because there's something there caught my attention. I don't know if it caught yours or not. But when Jacob explains his life, he says, my days are few. Now, I would ask how many of y'all plan to live 130 years. And the older you get, the less that proposition seems like a good one. Right? Now, and Jacob is not in great health. When Abraham died, 
He's 175, and he's still having children. There's a bunch of children of Abraham. We don't even know their names. The Bible just said after, after Sarah died, he had other wives, and he had a bunch of other kids. Up to 175. Can you imagine? Honey, but you won't be around to raise them. Ah, it won't matter. It'll be all right. <laughs> Isaac was 180 when he died. 180. So in comparison, Jacob's like, it's been 130 years, but my days have been few and full of trouble. But I read an interesting note just yesterday as I was looking at this. I was just looking up more stuff just to read over things. And I discovered that one person said that to the Egyptians in that day, 120 years was the absolute limit you could live. That that was what they thought was the absolute top age you could go. And Jacob looks at the Pharaoh and says, yeah, I'm 130 years old, but man, that's not many days compared to my dad. And this ought to have shocked Pharaoh. The Bible doesn't make a deal out of it, but that should have surprised Pharaoh, but notice what he said, his days were full of evil. I, I was talking to Janice about that. I, I mentioned to her, she said, why were they evil? I said, well, number one, he was fighting his brother in the womb, and then they became enemies. So he and his brother enemies. He goes to get his wife while he's running away from his brother because his brother wants to kill him because he's got the birthright and the blessing. He gets married after working seven years, and the father tricks him, gives him the wrong girl, so he works seven more to get the girl he wanted. And then he changes his way just 10 times while he's serving him. Finally, he almost has to go to war to get away from him. But now he's got to go back and meet Esau who wants to kill him. And he gets through that. And then his sons killed Joseph. And he's missed him for over 20 years. And so he's lived with these issues going on in his head and his heart for 130 years. And that's why he would say that to Pharaoh. His days were evil. But I want you to catch that word sojourning again. He said, the days of my sojourning have been 130 years. Friend, there is a principle here that I believe most of us miss. And I don't think about very often. And so in the same sense, I'm, I'm missing it as well. And I've already said it, but I want to say it again. We don't belong here. The Bible says in Peter that we are aliens and strangers. We are a, a peculiar people. We are not meant to live forever in the, on this earth. This is a place of sojourning. We are just traveling through. And yet we spend all our time and our energy trying to make this life our best life now. And if this is your best life now, you're going to hell. Because heaven adds and hell subtracts. And you will die forever in hell or live forever in heaven. And if your focus is trying to live as long as you can, then you got the wrong focus. There's a Christian brother at the YMCA. I go there to exercise. And just uh, Friday morning when I saw him there, we had a hug and a little fellowship. He sends me something every day. He sent me something this morning to encourage me. It was good. And, uh, but, but we were talking, and, and uh, I walked up to him. I said, hey, brother. And he leaned up and he said, bodily exercise profiteth a little. And I said, amen. But, when we, but godliness is, worth, is great gain, the Bible says. I said, that's right. I said, you know what this exercise does for us? I said, it helps us be healthier so we can serve God while we're on earth. That's my part, why I do exercise. I said, and secondly, it makes you look good in a coffin. 
And he busted out like y'all did. He said, that's right. I said, absolutely. I said, but most people don't understand that. They're, they think they're prolonging their life. Now he's making himself look good in a coffin. Because you can eat right and exercise, you're going to die anyway. You are a sojourner. You are just passing through. Remember the old song? This world is not my home, I'm just passing through. Amen. So why do we treat this world and the things we have here as anything permanent? Because if the world lasted another thousand years, everything you own would be turned to dust. I mean, just consider that. Because there's only three eternal things. God, God's word, and the souls of men. And you will not send stuff ahead to heaven. Like the guy who begged God to bring his gold to heaven with him. And God said, oh, okay, but why do you want to bring pavement? It's just beyond our comprehension. The days of his sojourning. And friend, when we live like we belong here, we will not be serving God. Because we'll be serving ourselves. And we have to let go of all that to serve God. But that's, none of that is what I've noticed that I wonder if you noticed. At the beginning, at the end, the Bible says, Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And I read that, and it just, what does that mean? And, it, you know, and it, it probably means what you think it means, but it does mean more than that. If you think it means that he says, hey, thanks for letting us come here, and God bless you, yeah, that's true. He probably said something like that. There's a, there's a tradition of what he actually said to Pharaoh, and it, it's basically that. I didn't write it down because it's not Bible, but anyway, there's a book out there supposedly written about that in that day, and that's what he said, basically. But I looked up the word blessed, and <laughs> it's a word that means to give to that you will bless someone because you're their superior. When Jacob stands before the mightiest king on earth, he understands, I serve Yahweh, and this guy's just a king on earth. And he says, God bless you because Pharaoh can't God bless him because Pharaoh doesn't know his God. Pharaoh doesn't know any God except false gods. I want you to catch that. Very subtly, Pharaoh recognizes that's a greater man than am I. And that's why he's so generous. He, he is honored to have Jacob come and be there. And Jacob blesses him saying, I'm not going to be your enemy. God bless you. Thank you for letting us stay here. But I'm the old man of the guy that you think is the greatest guy in the world. I'm the older father of him. And then on his way out, he blesses him again just to say, we're not going to be your enemy. We're going to take care of you. That's, it's shocking that 300 years later, Beginning of the book of Exodus, there arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. But this Pharaoh understood, and Jacob understood, that with God living, well, we would say God living in him, but God having led him through that sojourning, as bad as he said it was, I think he was just one of those, you know, sad sacks. Like some people talk about everything went bad, some people talk about everything went good. Both of them are lying because they got the other side also going on, right? It's what you want to focus on. I get it. Some people have more bad. Some people have more good. Don't, don't fuss at me. But, but I think Jacob was one of those guys like, well, it's just not going well today. You know, some people say, how you doing? Oh, it's horrible. You know, it's like, thanks. I don't really. Yeah, Eeyore. Thank you. She, yeah. <laughs> thanks for asking. Yeah, Eeyore. So, 
But anyway, we have much to be thankful for, and this place is not our eternal home. We're leaving here. And then we see that they settled in the best of the land. They possessed it, and God provided them with food there. And as Jacob stood before this greatest king, he understood God was with him, and that was greater than anything on this earth. You see, Jesus lives in us by the, name, by the power. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, inhabits the Christian and inhabits the church. Amen? You agree with that? And the Bible says in Romans 8, that is the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power of the Holy Spirit. And it says it this way, if the power that he says the power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. So we think about, I don't know, people love superhero movies these days, right? You can see a lot of reruns of recent superhero movies. Some of y'all won't identify with that because you're too old, but that's okay. No, I'm just kidding. You might, when I was a kid, I loved comic books. I was just joking there. You don't have to be young to enjoy them. But I would ask, are you a Marvel guy or a DC guy or girl, right? What, what, what group of superheroes do you like best? I'm a DC guy, but that's okay. I like all of them, you know. And, uh, but, but when I was reading those comic books as a kid, like, nothing ever bothered Superman. I mean, like, everything just bounced off of him. Well, they make these movies now where somebody will knock him down. And I'm like, that can't happen. What's going on with that? Like, they, they can actually, it looks like they can damage him a little bit. And I'm going, well, you know, what's my point? Yeah, God can't be knocked down. So would you rather have the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead in you, or would you rather live for this life? Because that power, and, and so we don't even realize the power that's there. The power of God lives in us. That doesn't mean we control God. I'm just telling you, whatever God wants us to do, you can do it. You can absolutely do it. Because it won't be in your power, it is in his power. Paul said, I don't want to boast about anything but the cross of Christ. Because he had a lot of worldly accolades. He had a lot of earthly um, credentials that made him a big shot. And he said, I count all that as rubbish. And actually the word means dung heap for the excellency of knowing Christ. I'd surrender everything in this world just to know Christ. And that's where God wants us to be. Well, 13 through 31 is another one of those informative sections I'm going to include in this sermon. And call it the access because they accessed the land, they accessed God's will for them. And what happens here, Joseph, remember, is their brother. And now you know Joseph's going to identify with his family more than he's going to identify with the Egyptians. But the Bible is outlining what Joseph did in this famine because the people ran out of money. And so they come to Joseph and said, we ran out of money. He said, you got some livestock? Sure, we'll trade the livestock for the grain. So they owned the livestock. I don't think they necessarily gave it to them. Uh, they probably got to keep it to, to grow it. But he gave them the food for it. But that was the payment. Now we own it. We can do what we want with it. Then they ran out of livestock. He said, we don't have any livestock left. He said, you got land? Yeah, we got land. All right, give me your land. And by the end of this famine, the government of Egypt under Joseph owns everybody's money, body, livestock, and land. 
really all of them were slaves, but Joseph was benevolent. He, he said, okay, I'm going to let you keep your land, even though we own it. You can work it, but you got to give us 20%. That's the lowest tax anybody's ever, a government's ever levied on anybody, 20%. I mean, it, it, it was unbelievable. He was a benevolent dictator, but God gave this family access to all of Egypt through Joseph. Remember Joseph's type of Christ. 2 Corinthians 1, as many as may be the promises of God. Every promise of God you can find in Christ, they are yes. And we give the amen by the Holy Spirit. God owns everything and he put Jesus in charge. And we are his brothers and we are the sons of God. Not a son like Jesus is. We're not equal with Jesus in in the sense of deity uh, at all. But he calls us joint heirs. All this that God owns is ours. And one day we will rule this world with Jesus. And this family starts growing. In the verses 27 to 41, 13 through 31 tells what Joseph did there. And 27 through 41, they ruled in their own land. And Jacob lives 17 more years. And then he dies. But he made Joseph promise, take my bones back and bear me where Abraham and Isaac and all of them are buried. And so Joseph makes him that promise and they do that by the end of, of the book. Uh, they, they keep that promise. But what, how can you apply all this? Well, I, I got a few thoughts. I've given them to you and I'm going to outline them. And I don't know if I was asleep or what when I wrote the third one because it didn't make any sense. Couldn't fix it, right? Okay, we, and we tried to fix it this morning. We couldn't. We couldn't access it. We'll probably get it by second service. So I'm going to say it. You're not going to see the third one. But the first one is, you have an advocate before the king. It's not Pharaoh. It's not a worldly king. You have an advocate before the father. The Bible says even when we sin, we have an advocate, a judge, a, a lawyer that, that advocates for us to the father. Here we see Jacob coming before the king and Joseph is really his advocate. What Jacob got, it was because of Joseph. What we get is because of Christ. And so when you pray, don't go praying in fear of like horror fear. Pray with holy fear. You are God. You're the creator of all things. You alone deserve the power, the dominion. You alone deserve the praise and the worship. But Lord God, we come before you in the name of Jesus and ask that you give us Stanton for Christ. Give us this place for the king that will be revealed later. Secondly, you will give an account for your life. Jacob does it before the king. And the Bible, the Bible says even though you're saved, doesn't mean you won't be judged. We won't be judged for heaven or hell. That's a different judgment. It's two judgments. But as a believer, we'll stand before God. I used to wonder how we were going to do that. It says we'll... we'll Give an account for everything we did in our life. And the Bible talks about in Corinthians that we will be judged by fire and everything that's not gold or silver or precious stones will be burned up. Just using a metaphor there. If you threw a bunch of wood and all that precious stuff in a fire and lit it, the wood will eventually disappear and you'll be left with still the precious stuff is still left over. But I've learned something. Both my parents had dementia of some sort and, and uh, passed away with, with those things. But I, I learned something in reading about that, and that is that everything you've ever experienced is locked in your brain. Did you know that? 
If we could touch the right cell in your brain, you'd remember being in the, your mother's womb. If we could touch the right cell in your brain, you would remember being born. If we could touch the right cell in your brain, you would remember that thing you did at three that you only know because your mama told you about it a thousand times. And I know that because I was to watch my father deteriorate. He would start talking to people that weren't there, like his dead brothers and sisters. And I just finally figured out, oh, that brain cell is being destroyed. And as it got activated, he remembered that in that moment. We will stand before God, and all he has to do is activate our brain. And in an instant, you've heard people say that. Oh, man, I almost died, and my life flashed before my eyes. Yeah, because your brain got real active real quick. And God will just activate your brain, and you'll see your whole life in an instant. And then... He'll take away all the bad. The only thing that'll be left is the precious stuff, the gold, the silver, and the precious stones. But friend, you'll give an account. And I want to have something left over to give to Jesus. I mean, there's a lot in my life has got to get burned up. But I hope there's some gold and silver and precious stones in there that I can lay at his feet and say, this is yours. And the last one is, the king that you serve now, you will serve in eternity. Okay, I, I don't even know how I wrote it. It just, it was a mess. But anyway, that's what I was trying to say. The king you serve now is the king you serve in eternity. A lot of people say, well, I'll just wait till just before I die, and then I'll, then I'll ask Jesus into my life. Or, yeah, I know, you know, but no. It's who you serve now is who you'll serve then. Who you give your loyalty to now, you'll give your loyalty to then. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to, God doesn't want a divided loyalty. He wants us to be loyal 100% to him. Not that we, we don't have responsibilities and relationships on earth that we have a loyalty and, and a responsibility for as a, as a husband or wife, as a parent, of course, as a child. There, there are those relationships and those things are in their proper order when Christ, when God, and God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the one that we serve, he says, sure, you're supposed to take care of those things. You with me? But that's in his order. And so I don't want to make that mistake of serving someone or something here that doesn't have anything to do with serving God. Because the king I serve now, I say serve in eternity. We will serve God in eternity. But you will be tortured forever if you don't. And I don't want to see anybody tortured forever. I want to see everybody saved that I could possibly see. This is a great picture of Jesus bringing us before the throne of the Father. That we can ask for the best. And it will be given to us. And he's given this to us to take care of till he comes back. 